Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Miranda and Kyle Carbaugh from Wiley Roots Brewing Company. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. So when did Wiley Roots open? We first thought of the brewery in 2009, but we didn't open until 2013. So almost nine years. Yeah, it'll be nine years this this July uh, since we uh, opened our doors and served our first pints. Now, you said when you first thought of it, was it that delay in time? Was that all of the hoops and hurdles that seemed to be thrown in place with opening a brewery? Or was it just it took you a little bit of time to actually make the leap and make it happen? Probably both. Uh, We, you know, we're in our mid 20s at the time and you know the crash of 2008 and you know we're trying to get a loan to start a brewery and that just didn't happen and so we did what we had to do to save personal finances to get the brewery going and so yeah from 2009 to 2013 is just kind of that process and how long it took but it also took you know a bit to find a location and things like that yeah banks yeah. definitely got a little more stingy uh, shortly after 2008. <laughs> yeah, definitely. At, at that time, uh, you know, I was, um, I was actually, a, a, an SEC auditor for, uh, like a, a big four accounting firm doing like financial statement audits. Um, and Miranda worked, uh, in human resources at, at CU Denver. Um, and so we, you know, being relatively close to, um, a number of things that were happening in the 2008 space. We were like, yeah, no, no bank is going to lend us money. Like this is not a good environment to, you know, take on, on any kind of <laughs> risky venture. So let's just uh, do what we can to make this as solid as possible with personal finances. And, you know, that gave us a really good opportunity to uh, do recipe development and make sure that the beer that we opened with um, wasn't something that we were asking patrons to like, just, just stick with us, you know, cause I think that was a, that was a, a theme, very much a theme with a lot of the, the, the breweries that popped up that were born out of, you know, a homebrew operation that was like, you know, hey, we're, we're still dialing this in, but give us some time to, to, to make sure this is right. And, you know, obviously there was there was a little bit of that with us, but um, because we intent, you know, went 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 at it with a level of intention, we were able to um, open our doors with something that that more closely resembled the product that we wanted to make. So. So Colorado is universally known as just a mecca for craft beer. When did craft beer really become big in Colorado? Because Maryland, it's it's almost, it's semi-new. I mean, we've had craft breweries since the 90s, but it, they were all distribution ones because you couldn't have a tap room in Maryland. And it wasn't until can't remember what year now but it's like five or six years ago is when craft beer really took off in maryland because you could sell pints directly in a tap room so you know like around that time frame a brewery could open not have great beer and still survive like people would give them um some slack now i don't think breweries have that luxury in maryland like there's enough 
there's a there's enough breweries that are putting out amazing beer that you're not given quite as much leeway as you might have. Like when did that happen in Colorado? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. I think it happened over over a period of time. Um, but I specifically remember in I want to say it was like January of 2009, like before we decided that we were going to do this and and you know try to try to open up a commercial operation. Um, I remember distinctly we went to uh, Dry Dock Brewing Company um, in Aurora, and at that time they had like a really small seven barrel brew house um, tucked away like in in the storage area for a homebrew shop. Um, it was called the Brew Hut. And, you know, way back then, there was no such thing as really a, a taproom culture, um, so to speak. There was, you know, a handful of tables and they had like a bar and a, and a cold room. And it was just super bare bones, like very, very like felt like an up, up, upscaled version of like a garage brewery. <laughs> um, you know, that being said, you know, nine months later, they, uh, you know, had, had expanded their tap room. And I want to say that was when they, they actually came away from GABF with um, small brewing company of the year. Um, and so I, I think it was in that 2009 and, and probably into 2011, probably a two year window where we really saw the tap room culture start to, to evolve and develop. And, you know, with that, you saw a lot of smaller breweries popping up. Um, but, you know, to your point, in that period of time too, where the taproom culture was still really kind of evolving and developing, um, you, you could see breweries that, that were opening on shoestring budgets and, you know, it was, uh, it was a home brewer's dream to, to, to get out there and, and sell the, the beer that they were making. And, you know, there, there's a lot of difficulties in, in scaling up and translating from something that you do as kind of a hobby and, and, um, something that you do as, um, hopefully providing for a, for a livelihood for you and your staff. So, um, yeah, I would say it was definitely before we opened. Cause I think the taproom culture was part of what interested us in starting a brewery. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was like 2010 ish. So I think this is well, like well into San Diego's beer, uh, culture maturing and i my wife's cousin was taking us on tours through breweries in temecula and it's like every brewery their story was the brewmaster was from this large brewery the uh, owner was somewhat like one of the original employees at xyz tech firm and then we got to one where it was like it was obvious it was a home brewer that made his dream come true because it stuck out like a sore thumb compared to all the other ones like with how much money had been put into them unfortunately the beer yeah, also was, was not that good at that one <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely a period of time where um you know breweries were were opening super, super like just, there was just a ton of breweries that were opening. And it seemed like every other weekend there was like a brand new brewery that was opening. And um, it, it definitely ran the gamut from, you know, uh, picnic tables and, and, you know, or card, card tables and folding chairs and in a brewery <laughs> scene in a brewery tap room, um, you know, all the way up to like, Oh my gosh, these guys really found some, some people to believe in them and, and uh, spent some money on their build out. So, um, 
I would say we were more in the uh, fo- folding chairs and uh, card table situation to begin <laughs> with. Uh, you know, we tried to pour as much uh, as, as many resources as we could, you know, directly into the beer. Uh, you know, when we were first opening, um, which you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how we did it, and and uh, you know, hopefully that created some some you know great beer that that uh, convinced some customers to keep coming back. So. Well, you've made it nine years, so you must have done something right from the very beginning. <laughs> it's it's definitely seen some ups and downs. That's that's for sure. So. Right behind the the camera, we're both what, looking at this like collage of pictures from our first day. So it's kind of funny, like looking at that as we're talking about this. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is- has um has breweries like new breweries opening kind of slowed down in that area or is it still constantly new ones coming up well i would say within greeley itself um you know when we first opened we were the second brewery um of kind of like the current wave of craft beer there was some uh some brew pubs that opened in the in the 90s in the mid 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 to late 90s i would say and then uh nothing from like I want to say it was like early 2000s until Crabtree opened up. Um, it's definitely slowed down in in recent years, but I think our total total brewery count now is at seven that um, about existing right. and yeah. operating. So, um, and it's a town of 100,000 people. So it's um, I think the thing that you that you have that's a little different in Colorado is, you know, we uh, and up until recently we had a seven barrel brew house that was kind of cobbled together dairy equipment. Um, and the largest brew house in Greeley in a town of a hundred thousand people was, you know, our neighbors down the street at Weldworks, they had a 15 barrel brew house. Um, <laughs> so it was, everything was, was relatively small. Even then, you know, Weldworks is, is, is cranking the hell out of that system. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they're doing 12 or 16 turns a, a week on that thing. Um, we ended up putting in a 30 barrel brew house cause that, that's a lot of work. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so now it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you go down to like Texas or whatever, a seven barrel brew house is, is, you know, if you open with a seven barrel brew house, it's way too small, um, just to be able to even address the market. So that changes the dynamic and, and the economics of, um, how you actually go and build out a brewery. So I don't know what it's like in Maryland though, if it's kind of the same thing. I mean, there are ones that have opened in the last few years that open with one barrel systems, one three barrel, because there's definitely a lot of like the, like the really nano, like your neighborhood pub type uh, breweries throughout Maryland. Yeah, definitely. I I think, you know, we've, we've seen that around here as well. Um, But my God, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can't even imagine like how they tr- they're able to keep up with that. Um, yeah. Even though a lot of the breweries that opened with like three barrel or in that range, like it's after two years they were able to they had enough of a clientele and enough success they jumped up to usually ten fifteen barrel systems. Yeah. Yeah, so, we, um, I want to say Verboten is probably the closest example of that. I think they opened with a three-barrel brew house, and now they're um, they're on a fifteen, which you know they're making some some fantastic stuff, some some great barley wines, some great stouts. So, so that um, 
that seven barrel system that you upgraded from, is that what you opened with? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we just uh, upgraded officially ramped and everything in I'd say May. May. And then our silo in August or September. Yeah, it was uh, late July, early August. So. That's that's uh, quite a leap in uh, <laughs> in capacity. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, in the uh, in the in the throes of the pandemic, um, we you know we do a lot of kettle sours. That's kind of uh, probably one of the things that we're most known for is is uh, the the fruit lady side of things, the cobbler side of things, um, and then slush, which is kind of our summer seasonal. Um, so, uh, you know, when, in the, in the middle of the pandemic, when we were doing all these kettle sours, um, and, you know, obviously packaging everything into cans, cause you couldn't sell anything on, on site and, you know, no tap rooms were open kind of thing. Um, we were, uh, we were producing about 60 barrels a week of, of kettle sour base of, of various, you know, different bases, yeah. um, uh, on a, on a seven barrel system. So, you know, each one of those, uh, each one of those barrels had to had to see the brew house twice, you know, once to, uh, you know, do the mash and, and run off and then, uh, you know, do the do the actual souring. And we would do it in, in uh, stainless steel um, tanks that were they were kind of side additions to the brew house. But um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was crazy. There was uh, <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of time spent on the uh, I call it the brew deck. But back then it wasn't really even a brew deck. It was like a ladder. Stool. <laughs> yeah, the, the brew stool or the brew step ladder. So, um, you know, just to be able to, to, you know, try to meet the demand that, that we were seeing in terms of just cans going, going out the, uh, going out the tap room and going out the back door through distribution. So yeah, it was, it was a popular refrain that you would see national media or even some like beer focused media talk about how, much breweries were struggling and breweries were going out of business, but there are so many that actually thrived and were able to really come out. Well, I guess we haven't come completely out to the other end yet, but like able to expand and improve their businesses throughout the, when everyone was supposed to be doing horrible. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the, you know, the, the biggest, uh, factor in, in, in that success or, or, you know, the, the struggle in there was whether or not you had a canning line and, um, whether or not you had access to cans. Um, and Miranda can definitely speak to our, our wholesale side of, of, um, that change and adaptation. You know, we were in a very, very lucky, um, you know, fortunate position where, where we had acquired a canning line, um, two or three years before the, uh, pandemic actually, you know, kind of went full force. Um, and we, we were sitting on, I think just shy of a truckload full of cans. Um, oh, so you, so we were, <laughs> you weren't sitting there sweating like a lot of people were. <laughs> um, we started seeing our can burn rate go through the roof and I was like, well, um, this, this cash flow is going to suck for a little while because we have to, <laughs> You know, it, buying a truckload of cans isn't something where you, you, you spend the money today and you see the cans tomorrow. Um, yeah. You know, we were ordering directly from Ball, and uh, I think we we're probably one of their smallest customers. But, um, you know, we would throw $30,000 at them, and then we'd see it show up in, in cans, you know, 10 weeks, 12 weeks later, um, if you crossed your fingers <laughs> and toes. 
and eyes, everything crossed. So um, that was um, one of the things that was listed to me as a big positive for places that had the contract can was that at least the contract canners, at least here, um, had huge stockpiles of cans. So they were able to just buy cans directly from the mobile canner and not have that those worries. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Um, obviously way know, less profitable than canning but it, it yourself. It but awesome. You know, I, I think that was one of the big things is that, uh, you know, if, if you went into the p- pandemic with no options, you know, um, gosh, it was really tough to navigate those first, you know, six, eight weeks, so... Well, and just everything, it felt like it increased. We we had three employees at the start of COVID, and then just three or four months later, we had seventeen. So, oh just, wow, you know, just <laughs> that growth and um, demand and f- for various products that we were coming out with was it was an incredible opportunity. You know, in the middle of you know so many things were just unknown, and so many things still are unknown, and from a you know, creativity standpoint, it felt like, you know, a lot of breweries maybe were hunkering down and, you know, managing cash and, you know, kind of hoarding resources. And I think for us, we just, to me, we were never more creative than we have been the past two years, just, you know, more innovative and trying to differentiate what we're doing compared to, you know, where we were before. Let's take um, a real quick sponsor break, and then when we get back, I want to hear the where the name Wiley Roots came from. So we will be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, where did the name Wiley Roots come from? I'll let you take it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Wiley uh, was Kyle's nickname growing up, like Wiley Coyote. (laughs) Do you have an affinity (laughs) for dynamite? (laughs) Oh, you you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was such a pain in the ass. (laughs) I was, uh, there, the story goes, uh, sorry, I, t- I said you were going to say it, but I don't call uh, him Wiley. So you, that's why yeah. 
Um, it's it's a nickname that stuck with with my family. My parents still call it call me that. My my sister still calls me that. My aunts, uncles still call me that. So, um, but the the story goes that I was being such a terror one one random weekend that uh, my mom was like, "I'm gonna kill this kid." And uh, <laughs> she called up my aunt and was like, can you just watch him for a couple hours while I get some errands done and get some chores done? I mean, this was, you know, in the 80s. Right. So it was, like, oh, just go go play in traffic for a little bit, but don't get hit. Um, literally, the story goes that I was I was that big of a terror that when my mom came to pick me up from my aunt's house, she was like, you have got your hands completely full with this one. This is <laughs> this kid is a wily one. And uh <laughs> It uh, really just kind of stuck from there. And so we, you know, when we decided like, okay, yeah, let's start a brewery. Um, I, I mean, the decision went, hey, Miranda, I'm really interested in this. I'm a home brewer. Um, you know, do you think I should pursue this or do you think I should just keep the, keep on with this, you know, career in accounting? And um, she was like, I think you should do it. Like, that's totally cool. It's your thing. But I, I don't know that I have any interest in, you know, changing what I'm doing. Um and then we went to the craft brewers conference in 2011 and that all kind of changed. So from 2009, when we were like, all right, we're going to start this brewery and, you know, Miranda will do some, do some stuff on the side, but keep her day job and, and let this just kind of be a, a thing that, that I go and do. And, and after that craft brewers conference that, that all changed. So, yeah. Um, you caught the bug too. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, roots is just like us coming back to our, our roots that we we grew up in this area and then moved to Denver and then kind of came back home, so to speak. How far from Denver are you? An hour. Okay. Yeah. Distance wise, um, an hour culturally, um, about 15 years. So. <laughs> it's that that was something I never knew about Colorado. Like, I think like people outside of Colorado have just a vision of um, like Denver and the larger places. And it wasn't until some of my good friends moved from here to Colorado and like explain what it's really like that it, I didn't realize it's like multiple different worlds <laughs> throughout the state. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's interesting. And especially, you know, Moran and I are our natives. You know, we grew up in Colorado and grew up in northern Colorado. Um, you know, it's it definitely has its draws. I mean, Colorado, um, you know, the weather's fantastic for the most part when there there are crappy days. Um, you wait, a, a you know, three or four days and the sun's sun's back out shining. Um, you know, the ski culture, obviously, that's a huge draw. And, and you know, there's Denver is a relatively large, you know, metropolitan city that has a lot to offer. Um, but as soon as you get outside of, of Greeley, it's, or sorry, outside of Denver, it's, um, it's a completely different world. And, um, you know, we've got this like melting pot because of all the attractions of, of everybody comes to these larger cities, you know, whether it be, um, you know, Fort Collins for education or, you know, Boulder, Denver for, you know, work and school or whatever. Um, you know, you get outside of that and, uh, it's it's a lot different so what is, what's greeley known for <laughs> this is this is a stigma <laughs> we're trying to get away from but um, well, and i wasn't sure if you knew and just no i have no idea <laughs> this is a very baited question because if you yes. ask anybody that's ever visited uh greeley for for you know an hour or two they'll be like it smells like cow shit 
Um, <laughs> so it's a big farm farming area. Yeah. 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 Okay. So there's uh, um, back in the uh, gosh, 60s and 70s, uh, a company started up called Monfort and uh, they, they had like cattle feedlots and grew to one of the largest cattle processing, uh, you know, companies uh, in the, in the United States ended up selling to um, like multinational corporations. So we've got one of the largest, uh, you know, meat packing plants and processing facilities uh, about a quarter mile down the road from the brewery, which um, (laughs) generally isn't, 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 isn't isn't an issue, but there are those random Thursdays that whatever they're doing at the plant, it just, it it manifests its way out. um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, it doesn't get into the beer yeah. for sure. For sure. <laughs> not get into the beer. Um, you can give that guarantee. That, yeah. That is, you, well, we got a stamp of approval on that. And but. interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, Greeley was founded as a temperance community. So it was dry until like the late sixties, 1979 early, or yeah. So it, Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So basically people came out here for the idea of being in this community that didn't consume, make, drink alcohol. So to see it evolve into one of the biggest craft beer towns is really comical and cool. Yeah. That had to be ridiculously contentious, uh, like, council meetings whenever <laughs> whenever it was put forth to to uh make it non-dry <laughs> right because um, i'm sure there were still plenty of people around who wanted it to be and remain dry but obviously there were enough people who wanted alcohol <laughs> well, isn't it 477 yeah. yeah there's yeah. there's a dis there's a distillery in town that that changed uh changed their name um, because of some, some trademark stuff. And so when they were contemplating what they were going to change their name to, they, they settled on 477 distilling, um, because the number of votes that were cast in favor of, uh, repealing prohibition in, in the city of Greeley, um, it was basically 477 votes to the, uh, yes, let's repeal side of, of, of that. Of that oh, that's, that's a cool history for a name. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what's funny though is, you know, obviously in, in Colorado, we were one of the uh, first states to uh, legalize recreational marijuana or even medicinal marijuana. And uh, there still is a level of that, uh, you know, temperance and uh, pro- prohibitionist uh, <laughs> sentiment, especially when it when it comes down to uh, to cannabis. So. Oh, I'm um, sure there's plenty of um, older people there that will remind people that anything that's going wrong in the area is probably because of the alcohol and weed. <laughs> right. And uh, we're, we're over here on the other side of that. Everything that's right that's going on in this town is uh, <laughs> largely, largely fueled by both. So It's the perfect blend of hippie cowboy, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird mashup but okay yeah. <laughs> i think we might have to now make a sticker at least that that has something to do with craft beer steaks and reefer so yeah <laughs> a hippie cowboy would be a really great beer name too yeah <laughs> that has to be taken it just has a great <laughs> ring to it like someplace in ta- i feel like 
Like, there's got to be a brewery in Texas with a beer named Hippie Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be on the untapped list here pretty quick, I'm sure. So yeah, yeah, it's not already taken. So when um when you open, did you open as the brewer or did you hire someone? Yeah, yeah. When we first opened our doors, uh, Miranda was uh, behind the bar. Um, operating the tap room and paying all of the taxes and doing all of the business operations side of things. And then I actually still kept my day job in Denver um, and I would brew and do all the production stuff either nights and weekends. But um, really what that looked like was for the first year and a half uh, that the business was open, um, I would I would get up at I don't know, seven, seven thirty, go up, uh, commute for an hour down to Denver. Um, you know, do the whole nine hour day thing there. And then I would come back to the brewery, usually get back to the brewery by about seven, seven thirty, And then I'd work until about, um, usually it was between two and 3 AM. Um, so it was just kind of, Oh, you had to be loving life. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> I was, I don't know. I don't like, I look back on that time frame, and I don't know that I even knew my name because of <laughs> the, the the sleep de- deprivation. Yeah, that. like that doesn't. Uh, now, yeah, yeah I just, <laughs> trying to trying to. It's a good thing you opened it while you were fairly young. Um. Yeah, I, I look back on that, and I'm like, you know, if if thirty uh, eight year old Kyle could have told twenty nine year old Kyle <laughs> what, what was in store, um, I don't think twenty nine year old Kyle would have would have done it. So. Because <laughs> um, I know now, if I don't get like eight hours of sleep, I'm pretty much completely useless the the next day. Yeah, I've I've very much gotten to that point. So, um, trying to unwind that, but that sleep debt, I don't know if we'll, I'll ever get to the point where it's paid <laughs> off. Um, have um, are are you still brewing, or have you uh, I, I stepped am, back uh, some? Yeah, basically, uh, you know, we've gone through various iterations of bring some bring people in to help. And, um, you know, up until 2018, we were brewing in like 800 square feet um, it, just in a corner of our tap room uh, on the seven barrel system. We had two seven barrel fermenters and two 15 barrel fermenters. So, you know, at max, uh, the annual production that we could do was like right in the neighborhood of like seven, eight hundred barrels. Um, if absolutely everything went to plan and you know we we didn't have we we did some real stupid shit in terms of production side of things back in in the 2017 realm where we'd move beer into the cold room and get it you know cold and carbonated and then we'd move it back to a fermenter because uh the cold room wasn't cold enough to actually package out of so we had to put it back into a fermenter we had three different transfers going on to actually you know package beer and put it in a can so um all of that being said, we would, you know, bring people in, train them up. And, you know, there was unfortunately a, a, a ceiling that always existed for us, um, you know, in that in that realm. So um, folks would come in, they'd get uh, get a few years of experience. And then uh, usually they were ready for a, a larger challenge by that time. So um, despite all every attempt of, of ours to grow the business <laughs> as fast as we could, um, so yeah, we've uh, you know it's, it's gone through periods where I've had assistant brewers and and you know um, I've managed more the packaging side of things and and managed more the like business operate or the the brewing operation side of things as opposed to being you know hands on mash paddle 
Um, but yeah, most recently I've, I've been on the brew deck on the 30 barrel system for, uh, gosh, um, pretty much since, since the day, since yeah. you know, the day that it started. So, <clears throat> and I was always in just ops, business ops and HR and, um, tap room focused hospitality. And then probably, I don't know, maybe five years ago, I jumped into sales temporarily and then have not left. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm doing kind of all of our, on the sales front. Yeah. Miranda is quite the sales magician. She uh, went from, from uh, making, you know, 30, 40 cases of beer disappear after it was packaged. And now it's pallets and pallets and pallets. So um, she's <laughs> a, a one woman show and, and absolutely killing it. So, so that's um, when you went from changing over from a seven barrel system to a 30 barrel system, did you just brew less to produce less beer or were you able to just keep brewing constantly and Miranda took care of just selling all the extra beer? Um, so really what happened is uh, we were we were doing oh, between eight and 12 turns a week on that seven barrel system. Um, and I had an assistant brewer at that time uh, who was who was doing a lot of the, uh, you know, valve turning and, and hose connections and all that fun stuff. Cause uh, on that system, nothing was hard pipe. So everything was soft, soft hosed. And, um, usually she would come in and, and start brews. And then, uh, I would take over, you know, after, um, nine, 10 hours and, and finish things out for another <laughs> six to eight hours on top of all of the other, you know, brew planning and, and, uh, brewing operation side of things. Um, so we were always producing at that, you know, I, I should say we started producing at that level in, in, uh, like March of 2020 and it just continued to ramp, continued to ramp. So now, um, you know, moving from a seven barrel to a 30 barrel, um, we have a lot of versatility. We can make 15 barrel batches on that, on that system. Um, but also, you know, when we need to make these, these larger production runs, um, we're able to do so in, in, you know, a fraction of the time, um, and a fraction of the effort that, that it used to take. So, um, so yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's, it's actually been really refreshing. I've gotten a little, little bit of my life back and, and <laughs> a lot more of my, uh, my, my sleep debt is starting to, uh, um, come into <laughs> the, the view of somewhat being able to pay it back. So what, um, what kind of brew house did you get? We went with a, uh, an ABS, um, okay. Yeah, so their uh, ABS is out of um, Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, I just randomly we were looking at at hiring an additional like two to three people, and you know my my business mind was like if I add more people to this situation, we're still only going to be able to produce so much beer, and um, so I, I you know we were in the in the throes of doing some working interviews and trying to find you know kind of that that perfect fit just randomly sent off an email to their uh, couple of different places. I was like, just, you know, send me a quote for a 30 barrel. I don't, I don't care. And uh, the uh, rep for ABS, Alex sent me an email back and just said, actually we have, uh, we have something in stock <laughs> that was the showpiece for CBC 2019 um, that another brewery had actually contracted for and then uh, backed out. So um, they had this 30 barrel brew house sitting in the, sitting in the warehouse and, uh, 
they made us a, a, a deal that we couldn't say no to. Well, I mean, even just the ability to have not like a months long uh, lead time had to have been a godsend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I sent that email in oh middle of August, um, mid middle to late of I don't know, probably the third week of August of 2020, and um, by like the 17th of September, I was in Raleigh looking at it. So, um, yeah, we basically made the decision, pulled the trigger in August or, you know, in September after I, um, after I went and put eyes on the system and then, um, we had it in house in, in November of 2020. Did, um, did you go with like a fully automatic one where you're just pushing buttons and, uh, (laughs) not running up and down the ladder to move valves? I, uh, yeah, so we went from a uh, dairy tank, like cobbled together, you know, seven barrel brew house. Um, I mean, the, the amount of, of control that we had over anything on that brew house was a Ranco controller, um, either turning on or off the uh, brew, brew kettle flame. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was the amount of automation that we had on the uh, uh, on the seven barrel. And the, uh, the automation that we've got on the, the 30 barrel, we, um, I think we've got 17 pneumatic valves that, um, are all programmed to operate at, you know, specific times and, um, brew house has two touchscreen panels. So it's, nice. yes. Yeah, um, I maybe went a little overboard. There's some things that are absolutely not necessary on that brew house, but, <laughs> but um, they may it, be someday. Well, <laughs> I will tell you this much. It makes brewing a lot more fun. So um, I say a lot more fun in a less work sense. (laughs) Well, our mash done, I mean, it was, you didn't like the manway wasn't there for years. So you'd stand in the actual mash ton and shovel out over the top of your shoulder. Oh, geez. I'm guessing this one has the pad, the paddles that just push it all out. Yeah, if, if I have <laughs> if I have to shovel any grain on brew days now, I, I feel so spoiled saying this because it's it's like, it but you put your time in. Yeah, you, I, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely got my uh, my brewers member or brewers gym card, if you will. Yeah, um, <laughs> if, if you, I mean, maybe if you open straight to that, you could feel bad. But even then, you don't have yeah. to. But yeah. I mean, you <laughs> earned after. What, what, seven, seven years of backbreaking brewing? <laughs> yeah, we uh, so it wasn't until uh, like March, I think February or March of 2019. So we, we had, you know, we opened in July of 2013. So it was just under seven years. Um, we never had a manway on our mash tun. Like, so as Miranda was saying, instead of like, you know, grabbing a, a hoe and, and pulling grain out through a manway into a tote, we were literally standing on top of uh, a ladder, just shoveling, shoveling grain out the top of this tank. Um, and I, I don't know, it was, it was painful. It was that sounds painful. completely miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things of like, I'm earning my stripes here and man, wait, no, 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 no we're not going to do that. No, yeah. no, that's, that's uh, an auger. No, no, we're going to, we're going to grind. That's for grain. lazy people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it wasn't until we were doing it like you know four times a day that it was like all right this is this is enough (laughs) so i um 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've done a lot of um, collaboration beers with breweries, especially over the last two years, and it didn't take me long to stop wanting to help with the physical parts of it. <laughs> it was. Yep. Uh, I'll help come up with the recipe, the flavors, the label design and naming and stuff. Let's we'll, we'll let the professionals do the, the labor. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's an amount of muscle memory for lifting bags of grain that uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you just don't acquire unless you do it every day. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm just, I'm old and falling apart. So it's just, it's, it's, and it's more fun to just sit and drink and let someone do the hard work. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that's been, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a little bit more of an appreciation at, at this stage, but certainly back in, you know, 2009, when, when I was looking at, at opening, you know, nobody told me that this was going to be like manual labor and like physical work <laughs> every day. You know, like I get it. Like brewing is, is a level of, of physical labor on a homebrew scale, but no, as soon as you start scaling up to a, you know, seven barrel brew house, 10 barrel brew house and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's to that point where it's still small enough that you can lug bags of grain around. Um, but it's big enough where it becomes a pain in the ass. Um, and it wasn't until I got on the 30 barrel system that like a stuck mash on a 30 barrel system is, it means something completely different than a stuck mash on a seven. <laughs> Volume is just a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were, the, the you know, with with a seven barrel, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is painful. It's frustrating. It's absolutely annoying as hell. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's manageable. You can you can you know dig your way out of it. It's just you know you got to move a little bit. Um, Thirty barrel brew house, uh, absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> I um, I'm uh, the first time I ever saw like a brew house that was fully automated. It just blew my mind like where like they basically just went into a catalog of recipes and could click run and it just <laughs> did it like it just did everything <laughs> that's awesome we're we're not quite that automated not quite that automated there's still uh you know we still have to make sure that we get the right amount of of grain ground into the um into the grist case and um you know, things still have to happen on a certain timetable and you have to be on the brew deck, but it's not, not quite the Keurig of brewing, but <laughs> a couple steps, a couple steps away. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe the next one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right, um, let's take a uh, real quick sponsor break. And then when we get back, let's talk about, um, I want to talk about like distribution versus taproom sales and like those types of transitions. Um, so we will be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard to find beers and I love the option of making my own mix and match custom six pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. 
Are you planning on having custom glassware made for your business? Glassware availability for 2022 has already reached capacity, and it looks like costs will predictably rise this year. Don't worry, ACS Brand My Beverage has you covered with over 6 million units of the most popular glass styles exclusively in their inventory to meet your branded glassware needs right now. Lock in today's lower prices and take immediate delivery, or ACS will store your product for you until you're ready. Email sales at brandmybeverage.com or visit brandmybeverage.com to reserve your glassware. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So before you did a large upgrade, were you still doing a decent amount of distribution or was most of the beer sold through your tap room? Both. (laughs) um, I'm trying to think. We had we we signed on with our card or distributor um, two six in June of twenty twenty one. We were twenty twenty or twenty twenty. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. The, the, the <laughs> pandemic times have just my timelines are off. The, um, I so think sorry. everyone June, is June with you. <laughs> <laughs> and before that, we maybe had we were self distributed. We maybe had. 50 accounts, 80 maybe. And so we had wanted to, you know, this was before we even had talked about a 30 barrel system that we wanted to grow and expand. And so we signed on with them and things just kind of took off. And then at the same time um, in the pandemic, sales just took off. And so we were running running out of product, um, all of 2020, the rest of 2020, most of 2021. And so, yeah, it just kind of grew. Um, the, the system was much needed at one point. Um, I don't know that we would have planned on a 30 barrel system at that point, but definitely we needed an upgrade of some kind. It was in stock. So we (laughs) did it. (laughs) Yeah. But we were planning on growing, anyway just because we needed we needed to um so i i imagine though once you got the 30 barrel system you were able to expand your distribution footprint somewhat yeah uh so we are in as of this week uh nine states um four of which we entered in the past month so pretty pretty intense. So you've been busy. Yeah, I've I've been very busy. Uh, And then, yeah, hopefully 10 to 12, you know, 10 to 12 states total by the end of 2022. But um, yeah, it's it's mainly been Colorado and then a few states just with random drops, things like that. Um, And it's shifted more to really just regular, you know, distribution more than once a year. How um how do you decide what state you're going to enter into? 
It's a good question. Um, a lot of them have developed organically, either mm-hmm. through relationships or festivals, or we really like what a lot of breweries in that state are doing. It A lot of them have developed organically, um, not based on what geographically is necessarily around us. Um, it, it hasn't been, we start in Colorado and then we're just slowly kind of working our, it's very random, you know, that we're in Virginia, but we're not in New Mexico. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think the Virginia is that Virginia example is actually really, really great. Um, you know, we, uh, Russ reached out to, uh, reached out to us on, on Instagram, uh, just randomly and said, Hey, you know, I'm doing this. Russ uh, from Oozle Finch. Right. Yeah, Russ yeah. from Oozle Finch. Um, reached out to us on Instagram and just said, Hey, um, we're doing this friends with benefits thing. Um, are you guys interested in being a part of it? I was like, uh, what, a, what does that look like? What do you, what do you mean being a part of it? He's like, ah, just in beer. And if you guys want to come to the festival, like awesome. And, uh, we were planning on, on trying to make it out there and then things just kind of blew up around the brewery and we weren't able to make it out there. But, um, so we sent beer out to the the festival and, and, uh, I followed up with Russ after, after the fact was like, so what did everybody think? He's like, Oh man, it was, it was great. Everybody loved the beer that you guys sent. Um, if you guys are doing more of that, you know, Hey, my, you know, my wife, um, Rebecca has this, uh, this distribution company. Um, you guys should link up. And that's where I was like, conveniently (laughs) enough. Hey, Miranda, welcome to the chat. (laughs) Um, so yeah, at that point it was, you know, uh, one of those things where, you know, we, we do these, uh, these festivals with, uh, you know, with, with friends and, and with people that, that are, that are like-minded and, and, uh, you know, think about beer very similarly to, to the way that we think about beer and, um, the distribution, uh, kind of goes hand in hand with that, just that it, it resonates with, um, with an audience and, and it just works and, and happens organically. So it definitely is not based on, you know, research, for example, of, oh, this state's really easy to enter. Let's do that. Um, <laughs> I kind of find out after the fact how hard it is to get in a certain state uh, based on the work that, that I have to do to get in that state. So it's very much, it makes the most sense for our brand. And then the paperwork is what the paperwork is. Unfortunately, so many people have listed <laughs> Maryland as just a miserable place to send beer okay, that enough. we we miss out on we miss out on a lot of stuff. Although we have we have been getting a lot more recently. You know, that that'll be something that we have to like uh put on the list and and I don't know, maybe maybe we'll crack the nut in 2025. Well, and it's, it's also something that while while we've grown a couple of states in 2022 it's it is it is also something i'm focused on doing with intention that we're not just jumping from like 5 to 20 you know right away yeah. it's something that we want to launch in each individual state with purpose and intention and really go into it knowing okay we we already have a fan base there but we're going to grow that based on, you know, people have been trading for our product or whatever and grow that to where we can get, you know, new customers. When that's what you, and you make a lot of beer that needs to be taken care of. So if you just went full bore trying to just 
send beer everywhere without being methodic about making sure you're choosing the right distributors who are going to handle your beer the way it needs to be handled that would definitely be very detrimental exactly and we you know when we're pursuing or distributors are pursuing us you know whatever you want to call it you know we have a lot of those conversations of you know how how soon after packaging date do you pick up ipas uh how, how do you plan on the brand launch going what kind of sales support do you need from me and 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 our company and so while we've grown on the production end in terms of you know efficiencies and maybe we don't need as many staff as we did before it feels like we've just kind of shifted to all those people are now on logistics um, because of the number of beers and pallets that we're sending out and you know, consolidating and making sure that all the paperwork's filled out so that we can send product out of state. So explain to me the different um, lines that you have. Um, and I love breweries that stick to that, that have like their um, regular themed lines of like where you know a slush is going to be this, a country cobbler is going to be this. So what oh, are the... Yeah, okay. Uh, um, we've, we've called them lanes in terms okay. of whether, I'm trying to think, we have like a double IPA lane and we have the cobbler lane. We have a monster lane, which is our imperial pastry stout lane. Um, so yeah, we'll usually have eight to 10 lanes and then produce beers at a varied frequency within those lanes and then just the varietals and what will change. So the cobbler, for example, um, you know, around Thanksgiving, it's like cranberry orange county for cobbler and then, you know, blueberry pecan county for cobbler. And then in the summer, oh, I we'll bet have, that is so good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and you know, we'll carry it up to like peaches and cream county for cobbler. So it, it always just rotates, but the base is the base goal is the same of what the series is. Yeah. I would say, you know, one of the things that, that we did very, very intentionally and very mindfully um, in developing of, you know, the, this lane based strategy was uh, very early on. Everybody wanted to add, you know, people would come into the brewery and everybody would ask like, what are your flagships? What are your flagships? And the concept of a, of a flagship beer, I think, is um, an interesting dichotomy because it may be like this beer that that you um, have just poured over and, and perfected and and made, you know, 8,000 times on a certain scale to just make minor tweaks and make it exactly what you want it to be, um, which is absolutely great. And that's the way that you should approach it. Um that being said, there's a level of monotony that <laughs> can creep in uh, when that's uh, when that's the fourfold or, you know, forefront strategy. Um, so very quickly, we realized like we were not all that interested in, in continuing to, you know, make the same beer time after time after time again, um, whether it be, you know, the exact same recipe or whether it be the recipe, you know, uh, the same intention and the same like overall specifications, but making minor tweaks to, you know, accentuate, you know, this hot profile or this water profile or whatever. Um, 
So approaching things with a lane-based strategy gives us a lot of flexibility and the creativity um, and, and how we execute uh, the idea behind it. So the County Fair Cobbler Lane, for example, is anything pie inspired, you know, and that gives us right. the, the ability to go from a key lime pie all the way to like how, you know, what are you going to have around the holidays that would be interesting? So what is uh, slush? <laughs> oh, what is slush? Yeah. Um, so slush started out as kind of our um, very intentional uh, stray from the mixed culture fermentation program that, that we started uh, back in 2016. Um, so in, in 2015, 2016, we were very interested in the concept of sour beer and uh, obviously Crooked Stave was in our backyard and they did some very fantastic things. Um, you know, Casey, Black Projects, um, all these, these breweries that are uh, uh, colloquially known as, you know, sour beer. Um, it's hard not to see that going on in the industry and not becoming inspired. So we've, we absolutely invested in, in a sour beer program and took some things very, very um, intentionally and seriously, um, even going as far as doing like spontaneously fermented cool ship types of beers that <laughs> we, we can dive into the cool ship nature of what we were doing, which um, <laughs> was interesting and creative and wacky and out there. <laughs> Um, um, but we found after a couple of years of, of pursuing that path that, um, the distinction and the intention that we were putting into the execution of the beers was something that we internally found, um, fascinating, but wasn't necessarily compelling, um, time and time again with, uh, with our with our, our customer base. It just got to the point where, you know, Oh, we were getting this, you know, raw wheat from this farm at, at this place down the road that we would find out how it manifested itself three years down the road. Um, and we found that we, we were just taking things so damn seriously, um, that we kind of lost the fun aspect of beer. And so slush was our intention to basically bring about this, uh, you know, let's do a kettle sour and let's just go back to the basics of how do we, how do we introduce fun and, you know, seasonal changes into, uh, in, into beer and, and, uh, create something that just is a little bit, um, a little bit different and a little bit wacky enough that, uh, it keeps people interested and, and intrigued in what we're doing. So how was, um, pickle slush, uh, <laughs> um, received? well, you definitely have to like pickles. <laughs> Somebody will, you know, like try it and be like, wow, that really tastes like pickles, but I don't like pickles. Well, it, it it's definitely pickles and cucumber and dill and it's so good. <laughs> There's, <laughs> um, and I, 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 I thought it was funny that you used Pittsburgh pickle company yeah. that you yeah. collaborate with. Cause anytime I see any kind of pickle alcohol, it always reminds me of, I think it's voodoo brewing in Pittsburgh has, um, a beer name, a pickle beer named, I prefer my cucumbers pickled. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's, 
So it's always a Pittsburgh memory of pickled beers. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then fruit lady is kind of like your smoothie sours. Yes. Yep. And ice cream trucks is basically fruit lady, similar to fruit lady, but with lactose. Okay. So you, and, you and use whole... lactose, but not, you don't use um, soft serve powder. Correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. We do use soft serve powder. Um, with the ice cream trucks when we're putting them through our ice cream machines. Okay. Uh, we actually, so that was part of, uh, the, the, you know, the first iteration was, uh, you know, slush and putting beer through a slushy machine and trying to emulate these classic, like drive in, uh, flavor combinations. Um, and then oh, the second- strawberry caramel marshmallow sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and when, you put it, when you put it through an ice cream machine and you're able to have alcoholic ice cream, that is so strawberry caramel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's fantastic. So that sounds really good. I yeah. love how the cans have different like monster trucks and st- or the family yeah. truckster. <laughs> <laughs> yep the the uh, the idea and the concept behind that was you know what what would happen if we took you know the quintessential ice cream truck that that went around the neighborhood, um, but we souped it up and made everybody afraid of it. So. <laughs> Oh, what was there was that video game where you drove around just destroying stuff? Yeah, ice cream trucks, twisted metal. Yes, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's uh, that was a little bit of the uh, the inspiration there. Nice. (laughs) Um, so I think we we covered all of them, right? Yeah, all the different lanes. That is. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's uh. Our most recent lane is uh, uh, a beer series that's kind of inspired by the different uh, um, astrological signs. So uh, it's called the Zodiac series, um, which uh, I will be honest, this is not my wheelhouse, but it was something that was pitched to me by, um, you know, kind of our, our uh, leadership team with uh, Miranda and, and Marin, who's who's in Houston. Um both of them are huge into the like horoscopes and astrological signs. So um, this is a brand new lane that we, we created this year of uh, doing a monthly release with um, it's a sour based beer, but uh, uh, just different ingredients, different fruits, different spices that kind of go along with, uh, you know, the uh, uh, influences of, of uh, the astrological science. So um We've got Aquarius out right now, and then uh, Pisces launches next week. Um, we have intentions of doing one for every astrological sign this year. So, I, I also like I like this um, ingenious collab the the <laughs> yeah. label for surgical precision. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. pretty cool. <laughs> that was uh, that was our Squid Game reference. So. Yeah, so and I guess I should explain it since everyone's listening to this and not <laughs> looking at my monitor. <laughs> it, has, it, it has the three Squid Game uh, PlayStation controller guys um, and the the uh, honey tins, uh, and those have the Ingenious logo and the Wiley Roots logo. I absolutely would cry if uh, I was in Squid Game and they handed us the the Dalgona cookie tins with those two logos in there. Um, yeah, you would not make it past. Yeah. Especially the yours is much more doable. The ingenious <laughs> one, though, just nope. probably just quit. 
<laughs> that that's yeah. a really good, I like that label. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. That was uh, that was a fun one to do, and um, you know, I, I'm sure you you know a little bit about uh, Ingenious and that. Uh, yeah, Justin I've, I've had um, I've had James on. Um, oh, have you? He, okay. Yeah, and we we uh, bonded over both of us having a skunk beard. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, those yeah. Guys are so those one guys. one of the owners is uh, um, what kind of surgeon is he? Or a urologist? Yes, that's it. He's urol. So okay, so that that played into the the name. <laughs> The surgical precision, because that's what you want, you know. Yes, yeah, you do prefer that in a urologist. <laughs> you're visiting, if, if you're if you're visiting a urologist um, for for those reasons, you definitely want someone with level of surgical precision. So, so it looks like you're you're just as heavy on crazy stouts as you are like super fruited sours. It, Absolutely. It, are those are those like the two styles that you're most drawn to? I think um, you know both of those. Uh, I look at things in terms of 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 layering, right? So we start with a really really solid like you know imperial stout recipe, or a really really solid you know sour um, kettle soured base. I, th- I think that's funny that um, <laughs> you know we started with this mixed culture side of things, which. Uh, that definitely, you know, informed our, uh, uh, the way that we think about, about kettle sours, um, feels like there's a level of dirty word in the industry of, of kettle sours versus like, you know, mixed culture sours. But, um, but the way that we think about that is, is, is starting with, with a base beer that could stand on its own in its own right. Um, and then on top of that, we layer on this just absolutely absurd level of creativity and and we take a lot of things from like culinary pairings that you know on the surface don't make sense but then once you get them together it's uh it's just a fantastic marriage of of you know uh whether it be fruit or spice or you know different cooking ingredients that you wouldn't necessarily always associate with beer um we do that all over the board with uh with stouts and sours and and even milkshake ipas um but that all of that being said, we have, um, you know, a lane with just our, our easy drinking American lager series. Um, we've got uh, football beer, which is like a rice lager. And then uh, we've got uh, 30 point, which was our, uh, our corn lager. So um, we, we go in very, very different directions, um, whether it be the, these crazy artist artists, artistful or, or intention, you know, these, these crazy combinations of fruits and, and everything, um, or whether it be a, just a really, really well-made lager. So what, what's super 77 reference to, is that the name of a tractor? It is, is that... the name of a tractor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was one of our original beers that we launched the brewery with. Um, we actually ended up winning a couple of, uh, GABF medals for that beer. Awesome. I did see that you have, you have a decent amount of hardware. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we started out very much interested in, in playing the, uh, you know, the, the GABF world beer cup game and, um, found some success and, uh, also had a few years where we put beers in and, and came away with, uh, you know, goose eggs or, or, you know, just judging notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And I don't know, at this point, 
we're we're playing a wacky enough game and doing some things that are unconventional enough that uh, I mean it no judge in their right mind is going to put a medal around some of these beers. So. <laughs> <laughs> um not to say that they're not yeah. well made and they're well crafted. They just do not fit within any kind of judging style or judging category at all. Um, I um one of my one of my common refrains uh, when talking about craft beer now is that nothing matters. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like some like a, someone will tell me they have a beer coming out, but it's really ugly. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. nothing matters anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Does it have, well made great. Yeah. Does it have a bunch of flavors in it? Yes. Well then it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. So um I, I go back to like <laughs> uh the, the Reinheitzka bot is uh is yeah. Reinheitzka go F yourself. So <laughs> when um when did you get into um making the heavily fruited sours and the i guess that big pastry stouts have been around a little bit longer um but when did you start really leaning into those styles um i would say you know it it really started in like 2015 and 16 when we came out with a blood orange goza which at that time like was revolutionary right or i say that <laughs> somewhat tongue in cheek yeah. um but, uh, you know, the, the iterations of, of that beer and going and straying into the world that is slush and then saying like, oh, well, this is interesting, but let's take it, you know, another step and put Kool-Aid in, in slush. And then let's take it another step and make, um, you know, a bigger base that's inspired by the slush base. But let's, let's make that a Fruit Lady base and, and make that 8% to start and then blend it down with crazy amounts of fruit. So I, I would say, you know... Um, that thread has been within the ethos of Wiley Roots for, I don't know, probably since 2015, but the execution and, and how it's materialized into its current current state hasn't really taken place until like 2020, early 2020, late 2019. So, I okay. don't know. Sound about yeah, right for you? I, I would say so. Um, do you have any... Uh festivals coming up or anything that you're going to that you're excited about none that we can announce <laughs> okay I, I don't think there's a few that um the the list hasn't been announced yet so oh, okay nothing that we can say yeah well the thing that i think is most immediate that we're doing it's, i don't know when uh when this will air but uh we're going in to two days it'll be out I'll, I'll, yeah i'll okay. release it on friday i use a I, I keep going back and forth between like I like to have a buildup of episodes because it becomes stressful of recording the episode that week to put it out because then every once in a while I end up not like uh, something will happen and have to reschedule and then I don't have an episode that week and it really stresses me out. But then I also don't like when like I'm talking to someone and they, you say that, like, I don't know when this comes out and my answer is like, well, in about a month I'll release it. <laughs> but yeah, right. this will be out on Friday. Awesome. Well, in that case we could talk about Arizona beer week. Yeah. Um, that's coming out, uh, actually next week. Uh, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll both be down in Phoenix, uh, Wednesday through Sunday doing a bunch of events in the Phoenix Metro area. Um, 
yeah, just doing a lot of, nice. uh, a lot of tap takeovers, a lot of, uh, you know, pint night kind of things. So, um, just celebrating, uh, you know, and being a part of, of the, uh, of the Arizona craft beer scene. So our collab with, uh, dark sky. Yep. That'll be out next week it's as called well. Shake Shack. Yep. Peach, uh, milkshake IPA. Yep. Nice. We actually did it. Uh, we did a version at, uh, the brewery up here, as well as uh, um, we went down and brewed with uh, the guys in Flagstaff, uh, you know, Ryan and um, Laramie and, and their whole crew down there. So uh, I, I love the home and away uh, collabs. Then you can yeah. compare the different uh, approaches to if it's the same beer or just like even just to see what each brewery did. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good time. So, yeah, we're looking forward to Arizona Beer Week, um, you know, coming up. We're hoping that uh, we'll be able to sneak away for the Craft Brewers Conference in uh, uh, Minneapolis for at least a, a couple of days, but we'll see how that goes. So, um, And then the rest of the summer, oh, my gosh, uh, it's it's one of those – we're hoping to do a handful of festivals that will be interesting, but um, in the land of COVID, you never know what's going to happen. True. Yeah, it's so hard to plan further than, like – a week or two away. <laughs> yep. So next week we're doing that, but uh, beyond that, who knows? Um, do you have anything in house that you're really looking forward to coming on the horizon with Wiley Roots? Oh my goodness! Um, we're looking at doing something for uh, four twenty that uh, would be pretty pretty cool. Um, we've never explored the use of uh, like hop terpenes and concentrated hop terpenes paired with different fruit ladies. That is something that we're looking at doing. And uh, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks we'll have uh, a few more things on solid ground with that. So. Ah, Awesome. So that's the, that's the preview of look for something that's going to be absolutely mind blowing with the fruit lady series. (laughs) <laughs> well i loved the strawberry banana fruit lady i was Thank lucky enough what some of my friends were out there visiting and they brought me a couple cans back and i also absolutely love the um strawberry chocolate cheesecake county fair that is Thank a really you. good good nice. beer so thank you for sending me that that is really good absolutely, absolutely. um but uh, so is, it, is there anything I have not covered that the two of you would like to let everyone know about? I think that was everything on my list. Yeah. I mean, uh, we are, um, you know, kind of still whimsically going through the beer industry and, uh, you know, producing things that we find interesting. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, what we do resonates with uh, with a handful, handful of people that haven't haven't found us yet. So. Um, well, actually, here's here's a question I've I've started asking a lot of breweries on that I have on that do a lot of collaborations. What is a brewery that you have not had any talks with about doing a collaboration with that you would love to do a beer with? Oh my goodness! Um, I would say, ooh, probably. 
in, in the United States? Anywhere. <laughs> it, it can be anywhere. Okay. It would be really cool to do a Fruit Lady mashup with uh, Jean Van of Cantillon, but I don't think that'll ever happen because... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know them at all. Not even yeah. the tiniest little bit. I'm <laughs> betting they're not into that, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, it doesn't really go along with the, uh, you know, Lambic yeah. brewing tradition, but, you know... I just um, see they come out really... with the... The basket and the bottle, and they pour a big, thick, fruited sour. <laughs> right? I mean, the the concept of the fruit lady, like while we're rolling cans in the tap room and inverting them to make sure that there's, you know, all of the everything gets in suspension. Um, I, I think that would uh, <laughs> that we would get the stink eye for sure. But that would be really cool. That's like like a fantasy hypothetical. Um, but yeah, I mean, like uh, some of the guys like. Um, we have yet to, to collab with pulpit rock. We, we have that in, in uh, we've had conversations, but um, we actually haven't had any conversations with like other half or um, Oh my goodness. That would be a fun one. Um, or evil twin. That would be a good one too. So um, yeah. Claim 52 would be fun too. I think that, you know, seeing what they're doing and having a, a handful of things that they've, each one of those breweries has put out, um, you know, looking at, at, at what they're doing and, and the artistry that they're putting forth and the creativity that they're putting forth, I think makes uh, uh, the, the hypothetical of a collab really interesting. So my answer is going to be totally different <laughs> um, from the sales end. I, I would say a, a brewery from another country that's really doing things that, or, or, you know, similar, um, I, I would say like Neon Raptor in, in the UK, or uh, when we were in Scotland, we went to Drygate. Um, that would be cool. I think just to brew at another facility in another country, but just to see the challenges that they have and, you know, selling their beer and coming up with new styles and getting ingredients. And so, yeah, an well, off the radar brewery in another country <laughs> is my answer well if i ever um ha do an episode with cantillon i will put them in touch with you kyle um and then you make your fruit lady fancy bottles dreams come true <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see <laughs> be great it'd be great so well i want to thank you to uh so much for your time I really enjoyed getting to learn about uh, your brewery and yourselves. Um, so thank you for taking your time out today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. 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 The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.